And then if you would go to page 74 as well in the back of the blue hymnal, we'll read Article 10 together. John chapter 1, verse 1. God's word given to us for our good. John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grass withers, flower fades. God's word endures forever. Amen. Let's read this together. Article 10 of our Belgic Confession. Jesus Christ is true and eternal God. We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten from eternity, not made nor created, for then he would be a creature, but co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, the very image of his substance and the effulgence of his glory. Equal unto him in all things. He is the Son of God, not only from the time that he assumed our nature, but from all eternity, as these testimonies, when compared together, teach us. Moses says that God created the world, and St. John says that all things were made by that word which he calls God. The apostle says that God made the world by his Son. Likewise, that God created all things by Jesus Christ. Therefore, it must needs follow that he who is called God, the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ did exist at that time when all things were created by him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says, 
His goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And the Apostle, he hath neither beginning of days nor end of life. He therefore is that true, eternal, and almighty God whom we invoke, worship, and serve. We come tonight to consider the divinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is a central matter of the Christian faith. This is one of the hallmark and cornerstone doctrines. It's a crucial matter, a crucial doctrine. Been great divergence throughout history in the church and it's been one of the, the landmarks of, of guarding orthodoxy and, and one of the ways in which you, you test orthodoxy through the ages many times is those famous figures who arise, uh, the question becomes whether or not they confess and believe in the full deity, the absolute deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you would be called a Christian, you are to believe that. Now there's couple layers to, to that question or that issue. There are perhaps many people who will come to believe in Christ and, and perhaps won't be able to verbally articulate uh, the kinds of, of particular doctrines that maybe uh, a theologian would be able to do. And certainly there are some people who will come to believe the gospel or confess Jesus Christ in some way to be Savior and Lord. We think of the thief on the cross, for instance, and, and they would not have the maturity of faith to be able to speak about these kinds of things. But for those who deny, for those who explicitly rise up and deny that Jesus Christ is God and deny that central doctrine of our faith... Uh, they, they, are, they cannot be considered Christian. It is central and essential to what we believe. And that is what we aim to see in the Gospel of John tonight. Uh, John is a wonderful, magnificent Gospel. And, and it's been said that uh, the other Gospels tell, or they tell us about, they show us the, the body of Jesus. And it's been said that the Gospel of John shows us the soul of Jesus. It's been said that the Gospel of John is shallow enough or perhaps safe enough for children to bathe in, and it's deep enough for elephants to swim in. So we're going to enter those waters tonight and probably go back and forth between the easier, clearer truths and the deeper truths, all to find the simple affirmations that John gives us about our Savior Jesus Christ. And that is this. He is true God. Our whole Christian faith crumbles if we are not ready to affirm that Jesus is God of very God. Of one substance with the Father. He has neither beginning of days nor end of life. So we worship Him. We serve Him. Just as we do God the Father. We aim to see tonight that Christ is glorious. He is marvelous. He is the glorious God. We see the need for faith in this equation because as Jesus walked the earth, his glory was veiled. It was veiled insofar as he had, uh, was God in the flesh. 
But John takes us to the witnesses of Christ. That's an important part of his method. To show us the witnesses of Jesus Christ. Those who were with him. Those who walked with him. And what we see here even from the beginning of John's gospel is that all of John's gospel absolutely depends on Jesus Christ being God, a very God. And in being absolute deity, our call is to receive him and to believe in him. All those who believe have the spiritual life of the new birth, born of God and are his children forever. So Jesus Christ is the glorious word of God who became flesh And as God, he is a marvelous Savior. First then, all of John depends on Jesus being absolute deity. That's the only way to make sense of all the gospel going forth from this passage. All of it depends on Jesus being absolute deity. Jesus is first revealed to us as the Word. The Word, which is perhaps an interesting title. Philosophers puzzle about this. Uh, He is called, the Greek word there is logos. If we read it in English, we would think to say logos, perhaps. It's not given to us in order to be confusing. John does not call Jesus the word in order to be confusing. It's not so that we get buried in, in the muck of philosophy about what the word means. There have been miles of ink spilled on why John chose logos, or the word, to talk about Jesus. They engage in, you know, some sort of Platonic thought, Greek philosophy, all these kinds of things. But that's not why John gives it to us. All that we need to know in order to get a basic understanding is to know what a word does. What does a word do? A word communicates. Words are how we communicate to one another, how we talk to one another. Thus, Jesus is a word from God to us. He is how God tells us something about himself. A word is the clearest expression of someone or something. And Jesus is the clearest expression of God to humanity. So he is a word from God, a message from God. He is the fullest expression of what God had intended to do from all of eternity. That's why Jesus is called the word. All that God wants us to know, he tells us in Jesus This word is eternal. This word is eternal. We read, in the beginning was the word. And this, of course, strikes a chord with the beginning of Scripture, doesn't it? In the beginning was the word. So our minds are brought back to Genesis 1, verse 1, where we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But John doesn't want to just take us back there to that moment in time. He wants to take us back to that moment in time, and he wants to lift the curtain, as it were, in that moment in time, and give us more clarity about what was going on when the only God of all the universe created the heavens and the earth. He shows us that the one who is the Word was there as well. He was there in the beginning. Those who believe the scriptures take Genesis 1-1 to be that moment at which God creates all things that are All things that need to come into existence by his hand, by his power, all things visible and invisible, everything which is not him is created there in Genesis 1, verse 1. The Bible has this very clear distinction. One of the the clearest distinctions in in the Bible is God and everything else. And if we consider that distinction, 
relative to Genesis and relative to John, we see that there is no other place for us to go than to fully affirm that Jesus is absolutely God. Very God of very God. You think of a couple of the places that we've been considering as we've gone through the Belgian Confession, uh, passages like Isaiah 44, where God says, I, I know of no other gods. There is no other rock. I know not one. Right? But as we consider this, what we see is that though the word, in some sense, uh, is sharing with this life in God, it's not, it's not uh, simple enough that we can just equate the word with the Father. Because we read the word was with God. So it's not just, you can't just equate the word with God the Father. John repeats this in verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. The conclusion is that this word, this eternal word, was intimately involved in the making of all things, right? We read verse 3, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. This is so important before you venture further into the gospel of John. There are many who will say that Jesus was the first created being, but that flies in the face of what this passage is teaching us, centrally and clearly. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So think about it this way. John 1 talks about everything that has been made. Keep that distinction in your mind of God and everything else. Everything that has been made, everything that needs to be created, because if you're not God, you need to be created. So put that in a little box, a little category in your mind. Everything that has been made, right? And John chapter 1 says, without the word, nothing was made that has been made. Now, if you want to say that Jesus is the first of God's created beings, which is what people will say. They will say Jesus is a God. Jesus is in some sense like God, but he is not the true God. If you want to say that, then this verse doesn't make any sense. Because if you say that everything that is ever created is over there, and put it in that box, in that category. And without the word, nothing was made that has been made. In order to make him a created being, you would have to put him in that box. And then this verse would be meaningless. See, without Jesus, nothing that has come into being has come into being. Through him, all things were created. And so the only, the only conclusion you can make here in John chapter 1 is that Jesus himself is uncreated. Fully eternal, completely, eternally existent, just as God the Father is. Thus John teaches us that that we can say Jesus is the creator, just as the Father is. And the only conclusion we can make then is that this word, this eternal word, this eternal word who created all things, shares in the Father's divine nature. The word was God. This seems clear for us. And for those who have known the scriptures for a long time, this is natural to us, second nature. The word was with God, the word was God. So in some sense distinct, but sharing the same substance. Ah, but some people will say, if you go to the Greek, then you will see that there's a bit of a problem here. John 1, verse 3. Now, this is not a problem at all, but this is what they will say. And they will say there in uh, the Greek language that there where it says the word was God, that's the only occurrence in these first few verses of John chapter 1 where there is no definite article, right? 
where it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with the God. And then it said, the, and then it says the word was God, but it doesn't have the definite article. So some people will translate this by saying the word was a God. Does this create a problem? Well, no, it does not create a problem at all. And interesting, if you go and study the rest of the Gospel of John, and, and one of the climactic points of the entire Gospel is where Thomas, the, the apostle who is doubting, is saying, I'm not going to believe in, this, in Jesus being r- raised from the dead until I see him, until I touch him. And then, of course, all the disciples are together, and the risen Christ appears to him. This is in John chapter 20, and and Thomas gives this, this amazing confession, this unbelievable moment. He says, my Lord. And then if we were to translate how it occurs in, in the Greek language, it would go like this. My Lord and the God of me. My Lord and the God of me. Thomas confesses him there in that moment. In the very way in which those who wouldn't want to confess the divinity of Jesus Christ say happens in John chapter 1. My Lord and the God of me. Jesus responds to Thomas in that moment and he says, Thomas, you have, you have believed because you have seen. Blessed are you those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that is the call upon us, brothers and sisters, to confess exactly what Thomas confesses in that moment, but to confess it with the eyes of faith. To believe what God's word says, what God's word clearly affirms for us. Jesus Christ, absolutely God of very God, divine, sharing the, subs- sharing the same substance with the Father. Eternal, the creator, the glorious God, and the marvelous Savior. So all of John hinges upon Jesus Christ being absolute deity. Secondly this, all of human history hinges upon the witness about Jesus Christ. He is a dividing line. In the sand, he is a marker of all humanity. And how all humanity is divided depends upon this witness of Jesus Christ and the witness to his life and all that he is and who he was and what he has done. Verse 6, we see John's method. And John's method in the Gospel of John is to listen to the witnesses. Listen to the witnesses and what they say about Jesus. Verse 6, there was a man. This is talking, of course, about John the Baptist. He was not the light, but he came as a witness to the light. There's something about the idea of witnesses that carries weight and power. Of course, we know this from the way that our legal system works. And what John is going to do in in the whole of his gospel is he's going to say, this is what all of the witnesses of Jesus Christ are saying about him. They're saying that he is God. They're saying that he is glorious. They're saying that he is marvelous. And John writes his gospel so that those who read it, so that those who hear it, so that those who take it in will confess Jesus to be the same as all of these witnesses believe him to be. Believe that he is God. Believe that he is a marvelous savior. Believe that he is glorious. John will say later in this passage, we have seen his glory. And so John is writing to to, Have us grasp just a little bit that this Jesus Christ is glorious. He's saying, I want you to see it. I want you to know it. I want you to know who he is. As he writes, 
the letter of 1 John, you see the same heart come out in the Apostle John. He says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says, I I walked with him. I listened to him. I knew him. I loved him and he loved me. He is the glorious God. And I share fellowship with him and the Father because he shares the substance, the same substance with the Father. And he has mediated between me and God. And he has brought me into fellowship with him. And I want you to be in fellowship with him too. That's what John is saying. What he wants us to know and what he wants us to believe. So we remember, we're reminded through the witness of the scriptures that this Jesus is glorious. It's easy to forget that, our day-to-day rhythms, all the things that we have to do, that we have to address, all the things we need to take care of on a daily basis. But Jesus is glorious. He is, as Paul will say, the Lord of glory. He is the image and the glory of God in 1 Corinthians 11. He is the hope of glory in Colossians chapter 1. Indeed, without this Christ and without confessing him to be as scripture shows him to be, we have no foundation, for he is the foundation of all of our faith and all of our hope. In him was life, John says. There's life no, no place else. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. One Reformed preacher put it this way, would we know the strength of a true Christian's foundation for hope? This is what he says we should do. Let us often read these first five verses of John's gospel. Let us mark that the Savior in whom the believer is bid to trust is nothing less than the eternal God, one able to save to the uttermost all that come to the Father by him. He was with God and he was God, is also Emmanuel, God with us. Let us thank God that our help is laid on one that is mighty. In ourselves, we are great sinners, but in Jesus Christ, we have a great Savior. He is a strong foundation stone, able to bear the weight of a world's sin. We should be reminded there of the words of our catechism, right? Why must he be true God? Because by his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger for sin. That is why he is a great savior, a strong foundation stone, a divine savior able to bear the weight of a world's sin. He that believes on him shall not be confounded. When we receive this testimony into our hearts, the testimony about who Jesus is, the witness about him, we honor God, because we honor Christ. When you honor Christ, you honor God. We see then how all of human history hinges upon this witness about Jesus Christ. We see that he is the true light. He's the true light. Read in John 1 that he shines before all men. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He is to the souls of men what the Son is to the world. Christ walking through this earth as he walked through this earth and lived his life and, and taught all of the things that the Father had taught to him. He was shining constantly. 
He was shining constantly. He is the light of the world. He is the life that men need. But the issue is with man's way of understanding it and their inability to understand it. The darkness has not understood it, we read in John chapter 1. So we conclude that our sinful and corrupted natures are darkness and they must be overcome by grace. The world and even his own cannot overcome this blinding darkness. And that shows to us the seriousness of the corruption of sin. That Jesus Christ, the true and eternal God, can come into the world and there can be those who see him and hear him and are around him and they're not confessing him to be that which he truly is, God in the flesh. The very world which Jesus made did not receive him. The majority of people in Jesus' day did not recognize him. A staggering thought, isn't it? The majority of people today do not recognize Jesus Christ. So rather than receiving and welcoming its creator, the world remained that which rejects and opposes him. Much the same as it has done since the Garden of Eden. That this world rejects God and it opposes him. And when this God came to this earth to save the lost and to seek them, They rejected and they opposed him. His own did not receive him. You see, the world did not receive him. His own did not receive him. Those who had the scriptures, those who knew what to look for in the Messiah, those who knew where he was to be born and the kinds of things he was to say, the kinds of things he was to teach, uh, they have this Jesus walk before him and they did not recognize him. They did not see him for who he was. So we take that chew on it, think about it, understand it. What do we take home from that lesson? Right? A couple things. First thing is this, that we need to be thankful, we need to be grateful, we need to abound in thankfulness that God opens our eyes to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That God gives us the ability to understand and to take into our hearts and to take into our minds all that he is and to live in a way that honors him and understands that the gospel is true. We need to be thankful for that. We need to be thankful for that. And then secondly this, that when we have experienced that and when we have seen the ways that God has opened our eyes and and showered his grace upon us, we need to be willing to live out in showing forth the kinds of blessings that we receive in Jesus Christ. And just being able to, to, to speak in a moment perhaps when you're talking to people about it or, or even just living in a way that shows forth that those who do not know Jesus Christ have no idea what kinds of blessings they are missing out on. Remember that tonight as we think about this passage, as we come to this passage, that there is no way to measure the blessedness that we have in Jesus Christ. John talks about these two verbs, believing and receiving, and it's, it's amazing the way that he weaves these two things together, and this gives us a glimpse into faith. To believe in Jesus is to receive him, and to receive, in G- to receive Jesus is to believe in him. What does it mean to believe and to receive Jesus Christ? Uh, what happens when you receive someone into your life? You take them into your heart. You might talk about a wedding ceremony when two people are married. They receive each other into their lives. Those who receive Jesus into their life, they understand who he is and they live in light of that. If we take it relative to John chapter 1, what does that mean? It means we understand that Jesus is God. 
that we understand that he is Lord, that we understand that he's the creator of all things, and he was willing to become flesh for us. Therefore, we live in light of that truth. So our faith is seen in how we receive this Jesus Christ. To believe in him is to receive him. To receive him is to believe in him. The great blessing that comes with that is being a child of God, going from the family of sin and condemnation to the family of blessedness. John will go on to recount many of the things that Jesus does, but here we are to reckon with who he is, to believe in him, and to receive him. So there is no sonship of God without believing and receiving. It's essential It's essential to the Christian faith. Another thing that's essential here that we see in John 1 is the new birth. The new birth. We need to believe in who Jesus is and we see that in some mysterious way the new birth is tied to that. Spiritual life. Those who are born of God. Now what comes first? Faith in Jesus Christ or being born of God? I think John uses the illustration of of birth in order to show us that this is something that man cannot bring about on his own. This is something that grace does. This is something that God does, giving us the power of the new birth. And so there's no sonship of God without believing and receiving. And when we talk about the new birth, this is something that originates from God. It's not dependent on any action or desire of man. Faith is essential, the new birth is an essential part, but that is God's work, and the new birth is what enables us to believe. Finally, let's consider verse 14 just for a few minutes as we close. We read that the word became flesh. When we read the word became flesh, there are many things that we can say about that, many ways in which we might consider that unto our spiritual nourishment and blessing. I'd just like to Think about one thing tonight as we close. You think about the Word, the eternal God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Why did he become flesh? Well, to fulfill the oath he made to his Father, to seek and to save the lost. But one thing that his becoming flesh teaches us is that he delights in us. He delights in us. And we need to rest in that. We need to think about that. We need to meditate on those truths. And I think a lot of spiritual benefit will come forth to us from that. Jesus delights in us. He, came, he became flesh and he suffered for us. And his going to such great lengths to accomplish our salvation shows that he loves us. And that he delights in us. The thoughts of communion with the saints have been his joy from eternity. You know, as John takes us back to that moment, uh, that first moment of uh, the world's creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. The Word was God. He pulls back the curtain. One of the things that we see is this eternal love between the Father and the Son. And and they're gazing at one another and being uh, perfectly in fellowship with each other. But another thing that John shows us is that within that love that they shared, there was also this other love. This love that they would redeem from mankind, this love that they would bring others into the fellowship of their love. And we need to remember that, that the thoughts of communion with the saints, of having uh, brothers and sisters join him in loving and honoring his father, that that was on the heart of Jesus from all eternity. We read at the end of scripture in Revelation that God makes his dwelling place with man. And he only did that because he chose to make his dwelling place with man. 
And God chose to make his dwelling place with us. Christ chose to make his dwelling place with us because he delights in us. He delights in teaching us and showing us about who he is and who his father is. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we have the mind of Christ. We read in Psalm 25 that God makes known to us his covenant and he does that fully and finally in Jesus Christ. We read in John chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And so, friends, if Christ, if Jesus Christ, the true, true God, delights in you, shouldn't you show by your life how much you delight in him? If he was willing to go to such great lengths to accomplish your salvation, the true God, the marvelous Savior, the glorious one, and he shows how much he delights in you, Shouldn't you, by your life, show how much you delight in him? He is true God. He is marvelous. He is glorious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We praise you. We know that from all eternity, you chose to send him to earth And he was obedient. Father, may we get a glimpse of the truth, the reality of the fact that he reigns now at your right hand, risen and exalted and ascended. Father, we don't deserve the great blessings that he bestows upon us through his spirit from your right hand, from from the throne room. Father, but we know that you delight to shower those blessings upon us. We thank you for the love that you and the Son have shared from eternity. And we thank you that you welcome us into that communion, into that fellowship. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.